You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. It is so good to be back. I like what you've done with the place since I was gone. Nice new chairs, comfortable space. This is wonderful. Looks fresh, looks new, inviting. I have to tell you, my grandma's worried that you guys are going to fall asleep. She saw how comfortable these chairs were. I don't know what that says about my preaching, that that's the first thing she's worried about. Do you guys fall asleep? It is good to be together. It's good to celebrate the name of God, to recognize God's presence in our lives. And I'm glad that you are here, whether online in your own comfortable chair or right here in our space here on Montgomery Boulevard. You know, something a little strange on the front here. I know the more and more people look at the Bible as something that is not useful, as out of date. And I just want to make kind of a bold statement on the front end here, that the Bible contains the most reliable spiritual information that we've got. And I think that the Bible has timeless truths in it. I don't mean timeless in the sense of static, because we really have to bring our, our full body to the Bible. We have to bring our full intellect. There's a lot there that's unusual. But it contains spiritual wisdom that directs us and points us to God. Now, the Bible's not God, but the God, Bible points us to God. And you're going to see that in our stories today. We have some strange stories to look at from the book of Exodus. And I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand back up and listen as we read from Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 1. A little longer passage, but I think you'll, you'll get into it. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to Yahweh the Lord, what do I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go ahead of the people, and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I'll be standing there in front of you, on the rock at Horeb, and the water will come out of it. So the people may know, and they may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He struck the rock, and the place he called Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men from among you and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with this staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, 
Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, and they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so that his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rephidim. A couple of stories in Rephidim. Sounds like a nice enough place to visit. Uh, we don't know where it is. Can't find Rephidim, but we get these two stories where God commands them to go and camp in this kind of strange place. A place where there's no water and a place where their soon-to-be infamous and longtime enemies, the Amalekites, are hanging out, ready to approach them. Well, in, in the first episode, it's all about water. It's kind of short, and the people of God have a demand and a question for Moses. You know, they're still kind of sorting things out with this new leader, with Moses, who, yes, they've seen him do some amazing things with Pharaoh and the plagues of Egypt. But he's telling them about this God, this Yahweh God, a name that they're just coming to know, and so they're just trying to feel it all out doesn't really help matters that God is now testing the people of God. Up to this point, first 14 chapters, uh, this has been about calling Moses to follow God and calling Moses to go to Pharaoh and ordering Pharaoh to let the people go. But in chapter 15, 16, and 17, Yahweh begins to test his own people, to test the people of God. To, to try them and see what would happen if they face some difficulties. Now, they're kind of used to facing water. In fact, if you look at the first few threats they face, it's all about water. Being chased by the Israelite armies, pinned up against the Red Sea. They get to pass through the waters. They see their enemies disappear into the sea. And you know the first thing they face in freedom when their enemies are gone? They don't have any water. That's what happens in chapter 15. They run out of water. Actually, they've got a little water, but it's bitter. It's yucky. They can't drink it. And God commands Moses to throw some wood into the water to cleanse it, to sweeten it. And they're able to drink the water. Right after that, they go and they get to a place with 12 streams of water. That's a good place to camp. And now Moses comes along and says, God wants us to go to Rephidim, where there's no water, and who knows what waiting for us. And so they're a little upset about this. The scripture tells us that they quarrel with Moses. They're upset and angry. They grumble, they complain, fill in the blank on the ways that they are attacking this leader who is among them. Don't want to pay any attention to him at all. And we get their demand, which is pretty obvious. Give us some water. I mean, even back then when we had bitter water, got that sweetened, and now we have no water. This is an obvious request, and one that should be met. When we moved to Albuquerque, everybody told us, get a humidifier. Drink lots of water, right? Find you some good lotion, because it's dry. Water is the basic thing, and they just want some water. 
And they probably, like good complainers do, you know, there's a difference between good complainers and bad complainers. Good complainers come and bring an idea. Well, they don't really bring an idea, so they fit into the bad complainers. But I'm sure they're thinking, why don't we go back to Elim with those 12 springs? Why don't we go back to the where the water is sweet? Look at verse 7. Verse 7, we get something that changes the story. Because in chapter 15, God has tested them with having bitter water. In chapter 16, God tests them with hunger. But in chapter 17, something else changes. The people begin to test God. They become the examiners. And in verse 7, they say, is God with us or not? Is God among us or not? Do we really have this Yahweh God with us? And they began to test God. Here in this series, one of the things that we've been really focused on is looking at trust being greater than or equal to our fear. And if you look at this story in chapter 17, fear raises its head in form of doubt. They don't really believe that God's among them. And it's kind of a, a fair question. God, are you with us? Are you among us? This doubt gets attacked and pointed directly at the leaders. They look at Moses, and they quarrel with him, and they argue with him. And Moses points out something to them that they didn't realize. You may be quarreling or disputing with me. You may be grumbling against me. But you're actually testing and trying and challenging Yahweh God. The deeper issue is that you're challenging God. Now let me be clear. Leaders, the best kind of leaders who are following God are those that have committed decisions to prayer, who've surrendered things to God. A leader can't hide behind, oh, this is God's decision on everything. No, no, it needs to be something that is surrendered so diligently to God that this is what they know God is calling them to do. But here, they test and they try and they challenge the Lord by quarreling with Moses. Moses' question, he's got one of his own in verse 4, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're ready to kill me. They're ready to stone me. And God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Do like you always do. Go out ahead of the people. Take some elders with you. And don't forget about your staff. And go. And stand at the rock of Horeb. And I will stand before you. Now this is, this is good advice. God is promising his presence with Moses. Sending him ahead. With leaders. Not alone but with leaders and with this staff. Now, what's going on with this staff? You mean the very same staff that at that burning bush on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, he threw down and became a snake? That staff that he picked back up and it became a walking stick again? That staff that when he threw it down and became a snake in front of Pharaoh, ate up all of the magician's snakes? That staff that very first plague, he struck the Nile, the body of water that was their livelihood, and it became foul. It became like blood. That staff that he hit the earth with and gnats came up as a plague. Or the staff that he pointed to the skies and hail and thunder came and fell upon the livestock and upon the people. 
or the one that he pointed to the heavens and a swarm of locusts came. Yes, it's that same staff that Moses is to take with him. This, it's not so much about the stick as it is this presence, this symbolic presence of God. In verse 6, God promises that if he will go ahead of the people and if he will take some of the leaders and take the staff of God, God will appear before him. Strikes the rock, water comes from the rock. This is an amazing story. Now, the question that they had that they were testing God and testing Moses with is, is God really present among us or not? Now, really and truly, they're twining together two things. They don't have any water. They're lacking some externals. And so they're saying, can we really be the people of God if we don't have water? Is that possible? Can we fill in the blank there on what that might look like for us? Can we really be the people of God without pews? Is that possible? Can we be the people of God with no pews? What, what about this? Can we be the people of God with chairs? Well, maybe we just keep stretching this more into the realm of reality for us, thinking about our own lives. Can I be a person of God and not have a boyfriend? Can I be a person of God and God not bless me with a child? Can I be a person of God and not have a job anymore? Can I be someone that's following God, who's surrendered my life to God, and yet still lack meaningful relationships in my life? I mean, we could fill in the blank, couldn't we? Of those things, is it possible to be the people of God without water, without what we want? Designer shoes, or a Tesla, or whatever it might be. Well, if we look more deeply at that question, it's can we be the people of God without God? God is our fundamental human basic necessity. I know water is important, but God runs deeper than water. Can we call ourselves God's people and not cling entirely to God, holy, holding to Him without restraint? Well, lots of questions, and the next one comes in this second episode where we get this enemy. Not only do they not have water, but they've got the Amalekites chasing them down. And here in this episode, we finally get a battle. I've been looking for battles all of Exodus. I mean, you think if you take an entire mass of slave population out of Egypt, you're going to get all kinds of battle? But you don't. This is the only battle in Exodus. Even in chapter 13, they get ready for a battle. They're going to fight the Philistines. And God's like, ah, I don't know that they're really going to fight. Like, really and truly, this is what God thinks. And in chapter 14, he's like, I'm going to have to steer them away from fighting because they will not fight. And that's what he does. So here, they get introduced for the first time to their enemies, the Amalekites. This is quite a group. The Amalekites, Deuteronomy 24, will tell us exactly how their relationship started with Israel. When Israel's tired, hungry, thirsty, and wandering in the wilderness. Do you know what these folks do? They come along and they attack Israel along the backside. Do you know who's at the backside of a mass of people? It's your old people. It's children. It's women. It's all the people that you want to protect that are moving more slowly. And that's who they go and kill at the back 
of Israel. So here in this scene, they have their attack of Amalekite, and we, we get to meet Joshua, and Moses says, go pick out some men, go down and do that battle thing. I'm going to go up on this hill with the staff of God and pray. That's what's going on here. Now, I know we'd like a battle with lots of bombs or sword play or really a great shootout or maybe some strategic military operation. We don't get any of that description at all. It's what we would expect, but it's just not here. We get all the focus again on Moses and his staff. Now, what's astounding about this part of the story is that God didn't instruct Moses to do this. For the first time, Moses takes this symbol, this representation of God's presence, and goes and prays and points the people to God, lets them know, hey, there I am up on the hill praying to God. And as the prayer goes, so goes the battle. If the praying wanes, if the arms go down, they don't do as well. If the praying is strong, they begin to win. Everything is focused in on Moses and his prayer. Now, I don't think this is about the stick. I don't think this is about the staff. This is about the presence of God. Will the people of God seek God? Will they reach out and model what Moses is doing, praying to God, seeking to God? Because the next step, if we wonder whether or not God is with us in our lives, the next step is to really ask ourselves, are we with God? Are we with God? Are we the people of God who are with Him? Here at Rephidim, in this place of weakness, in this place of declining interest in what God is doing, the people of God have a chance to see for the first time in Moses this strength and we wonder it too, right? We, we wonder in our own lives if God is present in our lives, do we not? Is God really with me at school? At school where I face all kinds of pressures from teachers, from administrators, expectations that I can meet or can't meet? Is God with me at school when I feel like I'm the only one who doesn't just dream for another new flavor of vape? Is God with me? Is God with me when I feel alone at school and feel like I'm not the I'm, like I'm not having anyone around me that's seeking to be good. I'm the only one seeking to be good. Is God with me in my industry in what I do? When I'm daily asked to make moral compromises, compromises to conduct business, to do deals, to get things done outside of what's morally upright for me? What's the right thing to do? Is God with me in my industry? Is God with me whenever I am facing the difficulties of time and time again going to yet another counseling session and sitting down and talking and visiting, working on my life, and I feel like there's no progress being made? Is God present in my counseling sessions, in the medicine that I'm taking? Is God present? Do I listen to the people around me that are like, well, yes, that's making a difference. We see progress in you. Or do I ask the question, is God really among us? Is God present with me in my divorce when I feel lonely? 
when I have to face the difficulties of holding back one more argument, one more harsh thing that I want to say, one more chance to send a zinger when that person is at their most vulnerable? Is God with me in my divorce as I wonder what it's doing to my kids? What's happening to them? How are they wrestling with this? Can God be present with me there? You know, those are times when we can follow the example of Moses and reach out with honesty to God. Crying out to God. I know God doesn't want to be tested by our questions about whether or not he's present because he is. He is present in all of those things. But God can take that honesty. He can take us reaching out our sticks to him, reaching out our hands and saying, please help us. Because what's happening is we are seeking God in that moment. A lot of times we assume that this is just going to be an easy route. And I'll tell you, when you reach out to God, it's not always the easy route. Sometimes God convicts us that we have to do the hard thing, the difficult thing, to take that path and that choice that's not as easy to make. We have to stand in the gap and face some very difficult and very scary things. Seeking God is not easy. Sometimes we just assume that success is going to happen. It's always going to follow us. I don't know if that's an American thing. I know it definitely is, but it's not exclusive to America to assume that if I'm with God, then everything is going to work out perfectly for me. In these times, we have to decide whether we're going to be testing God or trusting God. Trusting that God is present with us in this life. Because being the people of God is not, it's not about the externals that we see. It's about being drawn into a story where from the inside to the outside, we are prayerful and active in following God, following his directions, following his instruction, even when it's not popular, it's not the path that others take. Whenever others confront their desires with money or intimacy or relationship with success, Whenever they confront those desires, it's different from those who have sold out to God. God's not trying to be a killjoy here. He's not trying to ruin our lives, but point us to things that will destroy us when we give ourselves over to anger, when we give ourselves over to desire wholeheartedly. It will destroy us from the inside to the outside. We will come unraveled. God's not about trying to destroy you, but lead you away from things that can and will destroy you. The psalm that Jimmy read today in the call to worship, it's a great song. It leads us into worship. It guides us. It's, it's a good way to begin. We didn't read all the way to the end of that psalm because it's a psalm that also points out, as people are called into worship, a memory of this story. Don't be like the people at Meribah, Massa. Don't be like the people who quarreled and tested God, putting God to the test and saying, are you really around? But who'd really and truly reach out and live their lives as if God is around. Following God where God leads. It's okay for us to ask a lot of questions. It's okay for us to say, God, are you with us? And it's also worthy for us to think about our own lives and saying, can we be the people of God without you fill in the blank? 
Do I really trust God when everything's going well or because I'm missing this one thing, I'm not going to trust God? Or do we get to the point where we're able to say, you know, I'm going to be with God. I have to ask myself whether or not I'm going to be with the God who is always with me. I'm going to lean in to the future with that God. It's a difficult path. Sometimes one that calls you to out of your comfort zone, out of what's normal, out of what's common and popular. But it's a path that God invites us to because he will be with us. Let's pray. God, our lives are full to the brim with questions. And we thank you that we can come to the journeys of people from long ago and see how they reached out to you in ways a lot like us. Raising questions, being cantankerous. But God, we ask that you will hear our questions and help drive us more deeply into relationship with you. Surround us with your presence. Give us the words, give us the encouragement that, that we need, that only you can provide. Would you let us become more the kind of people that you want us to be? Give us the strength we need to choose you in our decisions, to choose to know that you're with us at school, on the job, in our relationships, to choose to do the hard things of living as if you are real. And God, we invite you to show up in our lives. We pray this through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.